Well, it's a better welcome. If you're not, it's good to see you again. Um, I've been asked to share my testimony again. I'm really sorry about that. But, um, but it's really interesting. Testimony is a funny thing because uh, your testimony is your whole life, really. That's the way I see it anyway. It's not just when you become a Christian. It's the things that happen afterwards as well. And um, life's an interesting journey. I was preaching at a church in Cambridgeshire last week. And we were looking at that, that amazing journey of life. Uh, with all its ups and downs and the roller coasters and the way that God, uh, if you know him, will sustain you through all that, even to the bitter end. Um, so, so I'm glad to be back and I'm, I'm excited to talk to you again. I, I find uh, this church, this environment, exceptionally exciting. Um, I'm just going to start with a little bit of scripture uh, from the Bible um, because I think it resonates with me. It always has done ever since I first read it. It's from two, uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2. Um, not everybody maybe will understand it, but I definitely understand it. Written by a man called Paul, who used to be called Saul, who had the most dramatic conversion uh, to Christianity and wrote uh, a lot of the New Testament, wrote letters and served, and served Christ again to the bitter end. And there is a film out at the minute, the Apostle Paul, uh, I think it's the Apostle Paul, the Apostle of Christ. I highly recommend it if you haven't seen it. I think it's on Netflix. So all of you will have Netflix, so you can watch it. I think it's free as well. It might not be. Don't quote me on that anyway. So this scripture from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it just says this. It says, this is Paul speaking. He said, and when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you uh, the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of the power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. In other words, Paul is saying, this has got nothing to do with me. This is not about me. This is about the one who saved me. It's about Jesus Christ. And that's how I come to you today. I come to you in weakness, in fear, and trembling, but knowing that I am a saved man in Jesus Christ. It's absolutely phenomenal. And, and to put your faith not in me or in the things that, that come out of my mouth, but in Jesus Christ is so important. Um, my name is Lee. I am not... Well, I'm not originally from around these parts. I've probably lived in Yorkshire now uh, a, a big chunk of my life. I'm from London. I was born in London many, many moons ago. I was born into a working class family. And the theme that I sort of want to look at today, and you've already touched on it at least twice, is the importance of that cloud of witness. You, the, how important it is that your witness throughout the ages is, is so significant talked about Sonny earlier on and how Phil's dad was in, instrumental in that and I look as I look back I can see the people that have been involved in my testimony so I was born in London born into a working class family uh, my dad was a crook there is no other way of explaining that um, he, he was a bit of a he was more um, Del Trotter than Arthur Daly um, he was a fruit and veg man and he was an absolute money making machine he, he knew how to make money um, he would do that legally through his fruit and veg business and he would do that illegally as well um, through the markets where he worked um, if, if anything could be sold my dad would sell it watches, videos, 
cuddly toys. I once found a load of cuddly toys in a cupboard downstairs, hundreds and hundreds of cuddly toys. And I was about six or something like that. And I remember getting all these out and thinking it was amazing. And my dad was saying, no, put them back, put them back. Because if the police see them, we'll be in deep trouble. I remember that very, very, from a very, very young age. And then interestingly enough, my dad and my mum were invited to a Christmas carol service at a church. And his story is he went to look at the lead on the roof, okay, because it was worth a lot of money. Then it still is now. Um, But while he was there, um, he was converted to Christianity. My dad was converted to Christianity at a Christmas carol service. So first of all, your witness there, you know, the way you open up your doors, the way... The, the way you have Christmas carol services and any sort of service where you invite people in is absolutely fundamentally important. Um, I, I wasn't converted then. Um, I started going to church with my mum and dad at a young age, um, probably about nine, ten years old. Um, I went to Sunday school under real duress. And um, it's a really interesting story because I actually made my Sunday school teacher cry. I was so horrible. His name is David Gregory. Uh, my Sunday school teacher. I remember him very well because I made him cry and I was horrible. But what I do remember about him is how nice he was to me. And he's ended up being the president of the Baptist Union, which is interesting. Um, So I'll talk about that later. But one of the first real witnesses to me was this guy called Dave Gregory. He was just a Sunday school teacher. He worked worked as a weatherman in London, um, but would faithfully, faithfully put up with me and the other lads uh, and girls in our Sunday school group, and we were horrible. We really were. Um, so we lived in London for a while. I, I, you know, I went to church. I was happy to go to church. I could mess around. It was all right. And then my dad did something really atrocious. Uh, he decided that he was going to become a Baptist minister. Okay. So I, and I and I, as a teenager, I was 14 at the time. Just thought, why on earth would? Why do you want to go and do that? I just didn't understand it. And secondly, he, he broke the news to me very gently, my sister, that he couldn't do the training in London. He was going to have to train in Manchester and they were going to give him a little church in a place called Bradford um, to run for four years, somewhere we'd never even heard of, to be fair. Um, we'd never been through past Watford, if I'm honest with you. Um, so, so off we trotted. I was 14 years old. Uh, we moved to Bradford. Uh, I went to St. Bede's. I did my secondary school. I went to St. Bede's uh, Catholic Grammar in, um, or whatever they call it, uh, in Heaton. And we lived in Heaton as well. It was the only school at the time that would, would, could take me. So that's where I went. And um, I'd love to tell you that my time in Bradford was filled with joy and happiness, uh, but it wasn't. Uh, it's very interesting being a Londoner of about 14, 15 years age, in the 80s, um, and early 90s, uh, moving from London up to Bradford. I, I had a horrendous time, if I'm honest with you, uh, but it, I, what I say now is it made me the man I am today. And uh, I do a lot of work with the 1st Battalion, the Yorkshire Regiment, and most of them boys are from Bradford. So I've got excellent street cred. Um, so that's really good. So we, we lived in Bradford for four years. Um, and then I, 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 that's where I really fell out with God. My dad became a minister. I did not want to sit in church. I didn't want to go to one of the youth meetings. I don't know what you know about Heaton Baptist Church back then. It was a big church in Heaton. Then it got knocked down and they converted the house on the corner of Leyland's Lane uh, 1A Leyland's Lane was the church so we lived on top of the church it was, it was a nightmare so when my dad was having meetings downstairs I used to like to play my music loud and bang on the floor I was, a, I was an absolute rascal I've been using that word recently because I've been with my granddaughter this week and she's a rascal and um, I was a rascal, a real rascal anything I could to, to, to do to disrupt uh, any of those services I would do I hated going, I didn't I was embarrassed to, to tell my friends at school that my dad was a minister. I really, really fell out with God um, um, over those four years. 
Anyway, to cut a very long story short, we ended up moving to Warrington, and that's where I, I left home. Uh, I left school with no education. I wasn't interested in school. Uh, I, there was only one thing I wanted to do, and that was following my dad's footsteps, because he was in a uh, soldier as well as a parachute regiment, and I wanted to join the army. So I think in 1991, we moved to Warrington, and off I went to the careers office, and never looked back since. I, I joined the British Army at the age of 17 and a half. That's all I ever wanted to do, and, um, and that's what I did. I left home, went down to Aldershot, did my basic training. I absolutely adored basic training. Um, I, I was ready to join the army. I was exceptionally fit, um, and I loved, I loved playing around with weapons and stuff like that. And, and to me, it was joining like one of the biggest gangs uh, in the world. It's just legally, you can do stuff uh, that you wouldn't be able to do normally. So, um, but for whatever reason, as much as I love the army, um, I don't know why. Maybe it was years of of just inbuilt anger. I just, I, I went, I went wild basically. I turned into a wild man when I joined the army. And, and rather than uh, have a really good career, I was intent on self-destruction. I, I sort of pressed the self-destruct mode as soon as I joined the army. I discovered um, copious amounts of alcohol. I discovered that if I drank a lot, um, I, I, I used to like to fight. So, so I was in and out of trouble uh, for most of my army career. Um, I met my wife when I was uh, 18. Um, we got married when I was 19. She just knew me as the pastor's son. We got married very, very quickly. And she soon discovered that I was far, far away from God. Um, I actually banned her from reading the Bible in the house. I said she couldn't have any Christian literature in the house, uh, which absolutely broke her heart. She, we, we hadn't known each other very long. We sort of fell in love very quickly. And she married a soldier. She fancied a bit of rough, if you like. And um, she's very posh, my wife. Uh, much posher than me, uh, and and you know I, it was absolute. It was an absolute disaster. Uh, but thankfully, she put up with me. Second sort of course of witness. Every now and then, she would drag me to Aldershot Baptist Church, and I'd go. And there were a couple there who used to yabber onto me about Jesus and how I needed him, and an organisation called Sazra. And I, and I point blank told these people I didn't want to hear it anymore. And thankfully for me, after being in Aldershot for a while, I got posted to Germany. Uh, I was out in Germany as a soldier. Um, I left my wife at home because I was unaccompanied. And I started to do, I don't know if you remember the civil war in Bosnia, but I started to go to and from Bosnia on tours of duty there. Um, so Amanda, Amanda was, was left in England, then, we, then I took her out to Germany. But I wasn't there very often. I spent a lot of my time overseas as a peacekeeper uh, in, and out, in and out of Bosnia. Uh, and every time I would come back, um, I wasn't interested in the wife or family. It would be getting back with my mates, drinking and fighting and just causing as much havoc as I possibly could. You, you, you can only live like that for a certain amount of time. Um, you, you can, and even the British Army uh, do not like that. They don't, I brought the Army into disrepute on, on a few occasions. And if I, one thing I love about the Army is they gave me chance after chance after chance, but I actually just threw it all away. I was, I was absolutely on a self-destruct, course of self-destruction. One thing I did remember was those people that told me about the scripture reader in Germany. Um, so one day, out of sheer desperation, after I'd come back from Bosnia, uh, I was nearly killed in Bosnia the last time I was there. I was in a minefield. Those sort of things sort of challenge your thinking. And actually prayed when I was in that minefield, prayed to a God that I didn't want anything to do with. Um, but that's, that's that witness. Why would I do that? It's because people have taught me to pray. <laughs> uh, people have taught me to have communication with God. So even though I didn't want a relationship with him or anything to do with him, 
When I was in a minefield, the first thing I did was I cried out to God. And I said, God, if you are there, can you get us out of this? It's, we had a really bad couple of days. I don't want to go into too much details. But can you get us out of this and I will follow you for the rest of my life? I know I didn't want to follow God at all. I just didn't want to get blown up. It's, it's there's an old saying that says there's no such thing as an atheist in a foxhole. And it's quite true. So I went back to Germany after that tour and I went to find a scripture reader and lo and behold, he had just retired before, before I'd found him. So I, I found myself in an exceptionally dark place. So I put an action plan together for the most perfect life. I, want, I said, this is it. We are going to have the perfect life. So the first thing I did was I signed off the army. I left the army and um, incredibly made us homeless. Okay, so it's all part of God's plan. This is quite interesting. Made us homeless. The only people that would put up with me were my parents-in-law. This is who I'm going to go and see after this. Uh, they lived in a little sleepy town called Ramsey in Cambridgeshire. I've never been nowhere like that in my life. It is like... It's like the back of beyond. It's like an Australian outback town. And um, when I first moved there, when we first went there, we had to live with them. And I said, I, I can't live here. It's, it's really countrified. It's like full of sheep and tractors. And it was, it was just horrendous. I, I just thought, there's no way I can stay here. So my next part of my action plan was to, to leave my wife and to move to London. Um, but living with my in-laws was an interesting experience. Once again, witness... My father and mother-in-law are the strongest, most beautiful Christians you will ever meet in your entire life. And I would go out, I would get drunk, I would come in, I would smash their house up, and the next day they wouldn't be too happy, but they just used to forgive me. And I couldn't understand that. And I saw something in my father-in-law, Fred, he's a farmer. I saw something in him that I've never seen before. Not really, not like that. Just an overwhelming sense of peace. Nothing seemed to faze him. He used to get upset. Think he, you know, he, he was a normal bloke, but nothing seemed to faze him. So I decided that, that part of my next part of my perfect plan was to be like Fred. Now, Fred left the farm and he became a postman. So I became a postman. And let me tell you, becoming a postman is not the answer. Early mornings, dog bites. It's an absolute miserable customers when you put their mail through the wrong door. It happens every now and then. You've got to accept that. It's not our fault. You know, so it wasn't that. And I just couldn't understand what it was about Fred that, that gave him this peace. So the week that I was meant to leave home, Amanda agreed with me. She'd had enough of me by then. We just had the two children then. We've got three now. Um, she said, fine, you, you know, if that's what you think is going to make you happy, go and move to London. But she said, I'll, I'll challenge you. She said, I'd just like you to come to church with me uh, one more time. Not the church my mum and dad go to, just another church in a place called Needham within Cambridgeshire. And she said, the bloke that's speaking is an ex-soldier. So I thought, I'll go just to prove to her that it will not change anything. I went to that church and um, as soon as I walked in, I knew I was in trouble. First of all, because I felt an overwhelming sense of peace. The people there were wonderful witness. The witness was wonderful to me. John Mark stood up uh, as an ex-soldier uh, and preached an amazing sermon. It was amazing because I remember it. And he stood up and he, he talked about how much he loved life. And at that point, I didn't love life. I hated life. In fact, I was really pressing the self-destruct button in many, many ways. And um, he intrigued me. He shared, he shared about another man, another, a man called Jesus, that I'd heard about loads of times. But I think what had happened is all that witness over the years on that particular Sunday, all of a sudden started, started to fill in the gaps. 
So I didn't leave my wife that Sunday. I went back home and I met John Mark that week, his name was. I met him in the pub because that's the only place I was brave enough to meet him. And we had a few drinks. He had a beer with me, which was really nice. And he just gently, over a few weeks, listened to me. He didn't say anything and began to share the gospel with me, a true gospel message, a message about this Jesus Christ, a message of reconciliation between us and God that I didn't even realise I needed. Of course I was a Christian. I'm British. Everyone in Britain's a Christian, aren't they? No. I didn't realise how far away from God I actually was. But all those witnesses all of a sudden started to come together. The witness of my father-in-law, the fact that my wife had put up with me through her Christian beliefs, my mother-in-law, the, the fact that she loved me as a son-in-law, that was really unusual, but she does. Um, all these witnesses suddenly started to come together. And as a postman, we bought our own house by then. I went home one day, and it's as simple as this. I went into the kitchen. I, I put the kids watching CBeebies or whatever it was back then, Topsy and Tim, I can't remember. And I went to, in the kitchen to make a cup of tea, I'd read a couple of verses that morning. I used to steal my wife's daily bread out of her handbag. And the verse that I read that, that morning uh, just impacted me for the whole day. Isn't scripture important? It really does cut through the grease. It really does. And the verse I read was, it said, what is it for a man to gain a whole world but to lose his soul? I was looking for the perfect life. I wasn't going to find it. I wasn't going to find the perfect life on this earth. No, no money, no moving to London, none of that sort of stuff was ever going to fill that hole that I had in my heart. And I realised on that very day what I needed was Jesus Christ. And I simply sat on my kitchen floor and I cried out to Jesus and I said, if you really do love me, if you, if you really are there, I, I, I want you in my life. I want to become a Christian. I... I thought I was a Christian anyway, but then I realised I wasn't. I was far from it. And on that day, um, I, there wasn't a dramatic flash of light, um, except for the kettle when it switched itself off. There wasn't anything, there wasn't an explosion. I didn't come out of that kitchen doing somersaults around the house. But 100%, when I called upon the name of the Lord, he entered into my heart. Jesus Christ entered into my heart. I started to discover more about Jesus, this man of Jesus, this, this man who was Lord over nature, this man who could heal the sick, this man who could teach with absolute authority for reading the scriptures. I learned about all these things from Jesus, but I'd also learned um, in those few months that he was also a man who could forgive sins. And I found that very important because I, I suddenly realised that I was in a bad way, that my sin was overwhelming to me. And it was almost a catalyst for me to maybe end my life at one point. Um, I actually grew a beard towards my conversion, not because I could, because I couldn't bear to look at myself in the mirror. But one day Jesus said, I forgive you. I can forgive you all of this. I have died on a cross for you. That's what the cross means. It's interesting that a lot of my guys come in, I work at the infantry training centre in Catterick with soldiers, and they've all got crosses tattooed on their necks and arms, and I've started to pick up on this. I love tattoos, I do, because it, they all tell a story. It's amazing how many young men have praying hands 
or crosses tattooed on their arms and necks and stuff. And I love to approach them and say, what is the cross to you? And I'll tell you what, none of them know. It's tragic. It's a good luck symbol. It just represents um, someone who's died in my family. So I love to take that cross and explain to them the true meaning of the cross. That a man like Jesus Christ came to this earth, who was God, saw fit to humble himself, to come to earth, to take on the filth and dirt that we have, and to allow himself to take our punishment. We've sung it at least three times today. The price is paid. I discovered that for myself, that Jesus Christ had paid my debt on the cross. And I couldn't handle that at first. It took me a week to get over the fact that he would do that, that for someone like me, he would allow himself to die on the cross. But he did that so I can approach God through Jesus and say, will you forgive me? I am truly sorry. And I really, wanna, I really want to entrust my life to you. And, and I came out of that kitchen a saved man. No flash of light, nothing dramatic, but something weird happened. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, now was found, was blind, but now I see. I came out of that kitchen and I looked at my children and I loved them. My wife came home from work and I looked at her and I loved her. This is going to sound really weird. I was a postman in the countryside in the Fens. And I suddenly saw how beautiful trees were, flowers, the rain, the sky. My character had been transformed. It was like it was not me anymore. And what had happened is, allowing Christ into my life is something what they call regeneration of character. The Holy Spirit came in and absolutely changed, blew my world. I didn't have to tell my wife I'd become a Christian. She knew I really praise God for that. I really do. I went to Argos um, that week and I bought her a little cross and I just gave it to her and she knew. She started to weep. And I, I, didn't, I didn't know. I didn't want to tell anybody really. My eldest daughter called Shannon, uh, she lives in Aldershot, she's married to a soldier, was up this week and we were talking about... Uh, my, she, she, she was once said to me, she said, Daddy, I love you so much more now than what I did before. Because even my little girl had seen a, a witness, had seen me change. Not on myself. You can get reformed, but you cannot be transformed. Only Jesus Christ can do that. And I left that kitchen and my Christian journey started. So what does it mean to be a Christian? It, has it brought me health, wealth and prosperity? Not really. It's brought me quite a lot of struggles, to be fair. But you know something I love? Is that I don't have to struggle by myself anymore. I'm still a weak man. I still tremble and I fear. But I never do that by myself. Jesus Christ is always with me. I've put my faith in Jesus Christ. I have entrusted my life to Jesus Christ. It means I live as a Christian man every day as much as it is in my power to do so. But it doesn't have to be in my power. Because every day I spend the first part of my day with my Saviour. And I pray to him, Lord Jesus, you know that I cannot be a good father without your help. You know that I cannot go on to camp and share the gospel, the good news of you, without your help. So being a Christian has radically and utterly changed my life on this earth, but also my eternal destiny. What being a Christian means also is that one day, when I die, 
I'm going to spend eternity with my Saviour in a place where the Bible says, this is incredible, the Bible explains heaven as a place where there is no more pain, no more tears, no more suffering, no more darkness. Is that not the perfect life? Is that not the perfect life? I spent my whole younger years looking for the perfect life. I wanted to be the big gangster. I wanted to be the main man that everybody would look up to. And I discovered who the main man really is. is a man called Jesus Christ. And Jesus even said, he said, For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. So being a Christian isn't necessarily all about this life. It's about the life to come. It's about where you will spend eternity. I want to spend it with God, with Jesus, forever and ever, in paradise. I don't know if you know the story, but Jesus was crucified next to two criminals. One of them didn't want anything to do with him, but the other one did. And Jesus looks across and he said, My friend, tonight you will be in paradise with me. When is my life going to end? I have no idea. I've tragically had three incidents over the last four weeks of young men that have decided to end their lives early. And, and it's just a tragedy. So I'm very intent at the minute about sharing the good news because it, it is a message of hope. Um, and I know that as hard as this earth gets, my eternal home is, you can't even describe it. It is amazing. Through Jesus Christ, my Lord, I, I will be in heaven forever. And I pray that you will be too. I don't know any of you really. I don't know who, who here is saved, who has entrusted their life to Jesus, and I don't know who hasn't. If you have, then Christian, I just want to encourage you that we have the victory, that one day we'll be with our Saviour. Whatever you're going through now, it will be worth it, I promise. And if you don't know Jesus Christ, then don't leave here today without thinking about that, talking to someone, making that small commitment that will radically transform your life from darkness into light. I just want to finish with this verse um, in Romans uh, because I think it's important for us as Christians. It says this, it says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you haven't called upon the name of the Lord, then do it today, please. It says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. Christian, you've got beautiful feet. You really have. So I encourage you as much as you possibly can in this excessively confusing age we live in to share something really solid, and that is Jesus Christ, to as many people as you possibly can because it is absolutely, fundamentally, life-changingly important, eternally important. All those witnesses took the time to, to share with me. And David Gregory is now the Baptist Union president. I sent him an email the other day and said, you're never going to guess what, I'm a Christian. And he was over the moon. 
He was over the moon. The couple that spoke to me in Aldershot Baptist Church and told me about Sazra. I was at Keswick last week. I haven't seen that man for 24 years. I don't even know what his name is. And he walked into the tent and I spotted him. And I walked up to him and said, do you remember me? He went, no. I said, you, you shared the gospel with me. You shared the good news of Jesus Christ with me 24 years ago. And he said, oh, my word. He said, are you a scripture reader? I went, yeah. He said, I do remember you. I do remember you. And it was so good to encourage him that through his witness, his fruit, for him sharing Jesus Christ with me, that I had become a Christian. Not only that, I'd become an army scripture reader. And he told me to go and see Sazer in the first place. Pray, pray for me, please, um, with the work on camp. Um, I dealt with a really tragic suicide last week. This one wasn't military. There's been two military ones as well. But it's just a tragedy. It really is. We've got a real message of hope. We really have. Um, let's go and share it to, to the communities around us, to the people that we love. If you love and care for someone, you will, not in your own effort, through Jesus Christ, as Paul did, share that good news about Jesus with people. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this mission here. I thank you for all the people that are in here now. And I just pray for every single one, Lord. Pray that if they don't know you, Lord, if they haven't taken that step of faith, that they will just reach out and grasp you today. Lord, you're waiting for them. Once you got in a boat in the middle of a storm with the disciples and you said, take heart, it is I. Lord, will you do that today? To those that don't believe, to those that are near you, and to those that have, have made that commitment many, many years ago. We all need encouraging, Father. So I just pray for the whole church here today that you will encourage those that need encouraging, that you will um, save those that need saving, Lord. But you will do that through your mighty power because you died on a cross. But Lord, we're reminded that three days later you rose again and you live victoriously at the right hand of God and you pray for us on a daily basis. Lord God, thank you for saving us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for all you do. In his name we pray. Amen.